I remember telling a chef years ago, I want to be 30 with my own restaurant and I want to have a Porsche. And I think to myself now, what? And a Michelin star. Okay, what a fucking idiot. You know, oh, an absolute tool. I should have been just saying, I want a busy restaurant and I want to be happy. You know, I want to be healthy. I want to be like, watch my kids growing up now. That is absolutely 100% the most important thing in my life. Welcome to another episode of the Burnt Chef Journal. Hosted by myself, Chris Hall, the founder of The Burnt Chef Project. We're joined this week by Stuart Rolston, who has worked in some incredibly prestigious places, including Restaurant Gordon Ramsay in New York, and as well as the exclusive Sandy Lane Luxury Resort in Barbados. Stuart joins us to talk about, as usual, his experiences within hospitality, but he's got some very interesting insights into mental health and well-being both from personal experience and from a business owner's perspective. We explore the reasons why he turned his business into being open four days and closed three days a week, and why that came about as a result of personal circumstance and impact on his own well-being and mental health. And we also explore other subjects, including kitchen layouts and the impact that it has on well-being, and also cultures within the hospitality environment and how they've changed over the years. So. Again, as always, hope you enjoy this episode and thanks very much for joining us. Lamb Weston are your partner in potatoes. We're a leading global frozen potato manufacturing business with a wealth of experience in offering a portfolio of high-end and quality products on a consistent basis. We supply the pub, casual dining, QSR sectors. We believe in well-being through potatoes and we are very proud to support the Burnt Chef Project. Here to offer our support and help for those that need it and any solutions that you need for you and your business. Hey. Hey, mate. How's it going? It's good to see you face to face. Nice to meet you. I know. Although I'm, uh, I'm done with these sort of Zoom and virtual formats. At some yeah. stage, it'd be nice to. Yeah. I was looking at your bio. You've, um, you've, you've travelled yeah. a yeah. lot, yeah. hey, and worked, worked, worked in some interesting places. So, I guess for to to get this kick started is, you know, where where did you start your hospitality career? How did you end up? Yeah, becoming a chef and a restaurateur. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty classic story, I guess. When I was growing up, my dad was a chef. Um, so I kind of grew up in the industry. You know, my, my dad had a hotel in, in Essex, actually, when we were kids. And um, sort of always been in it. My dad was a chef his whole life. Uh, my mum was also a chef. And now my brothers are also chefs. So it's the whole family's in it. Uh, so growing up in that industry was pretty normal for us to be growing up in hotels, being around restaurants, you know, my dad's days off, always going in and doing things. And as I went through high school, I just sort of wasn't very academically inspired, I would say. You know, I kind of hated high school. I grew up in a kind of rougher area as well, so it was just really wanting to get out of it as soon as possible. And my dad was you know, very firm on me and my older brother to go to work like really early. So I started when I was 13, washing dishes and all that sort of stuff. And then sort of stuck with it with my dad for a little while. My dad was a decent chef, but he was like sort of knocked around quite a few restaurants and he was sort of, you know, moved a lot. And um, when I got to about 17, he sort of said to me, look, if you're going to do this as a job, I know how difficult it is and you need to like be in somewhere that's like serious. So you need to start applying to like proper 
you know, Michelin star, that sort of thing, like really as high end as you can go. So I did. And then from there, at that point, I just sort of stuck with it, really. And that was just became my life. So it wasn't something I really chose, I wouldn't say. Something that was kind of maybe forced upon a little bit. But then I enjoyed the lifestyle when I was younger. So I just stuck with it. And so did my brother. And we just sort of grew up doing it. And that was it. What was your experience of, like, before you ended up working in hospitality, before you started, like, you know, working pot washing or, or like, what was your view on hospitality having seen it from you know your family working in it like what what was your opinion of it at that particular point what did you know about i think from growing up around it i always like thought it was a good industry like i always had like positive sort of vibes to me because you know at one point my dad was pretty successful so at one point we had like we were quite wealthy and it was quite nice um short term my dad went bankrupt and then we had to move back to Scotland and we sort of moved in with my gran and it sort of looked a little bit differently for a while. But I just thought it was like a hiccup as a kid. I just thought it was a momentary setback. And, you know, we always grew up with really good food, like not plush food, but like home cooked. You know, we always had like fresh food around the house. And my mum was such a she's such a great cook. So we kind of always had that relationship with food, I guess. Um, so it always seemed like a good thing. And my dad was you know, I didn't know about my dad's own sort of mental health issues at the time growing up, but my dad always seemed like he was like having a good time with it. And it was like, you know, kind of rock and rolly, you know, he was a bit of a, there was a pretty heavy drinker, my dad. And he always like had sort of, you know, nice cars and it seemed kind of glamorous to me growing up, to be honest. And, and, you know, it was all like sweary and a bit like aggressive and kind of, I don't know, like it just appealed to me at that point. Um, before I even went into it so when my dad said like that's it you know it's like one day after school you've got to uh you've got to come with me we're gonna you know you're gonna help me in the kitchen tonight and I was kind of excited you know and, and as you get there all that just becomes more I think and it's like you know there's a lot of waitresses attention and it's like it's a fast pace and it's you know you're getting cash tips each week in your hand so I was like loving it I was thinking this is class I've got money in my pocket I'm around like adults all the time they're all drinking and partying, so I can't wait to get into that sort of thing. So it seemed cool to me, to be honest. And I was like, you know, fuck school. I'm going to get out of this as soon as possible. This is the life. <laughs> yeah, what, what, any, what, what, uh, what 16 to 18-year-old would, uh, would stick around in a, you know, in a, an environment where you're forced to learn when you can get out and into the filthy debauchery, which is, uh, you know, old school hospitality. So um, that's class. And so where did your, you know, you're applying for these Michelin star restaurants, you're applying for like the creme de the creme of the restaurant industry. Yeah. Where where did that journey take? So you? I ended up getting a job at a place in Scotland called the Roman Camp Hotel, which then was a, a three rosette restaurant. So it was, you know, first three rosette restaurant I'd worked in at 17. So that kind of was a big, jump in where I'd been working. I'd been working in like a pizzeria and a pub and, you know, very sort of casual environments. And then as soon as I got to this three rosette place, it felt like it was like the mecca of all fine dining. You know, everything was cut a certain way and all the words they used I didn't really understand. And it just seemed like a massive leap from the guys that I'd been hanging around with in kitchens um, up until that time. It just felt like a totally different world. So I stayed there for a while. Um I moved around Scotland a little bit. I went to Inverlochy Castle, which had a Michelin star. And then I joined another restaurant called Grey Walls, which 
um, a lot of decent chefs were working at and the head chef, a guy called David Williams, had been working for Joe Robichon. So it seemed like it was, you know, a big gulf in everything I'd been doing before. So I kind of stuck around with that for from when I was like 17 to maybe like 23. So that sort of six years. And I worked really hard, um, took my job a lot more seriously, um, really thought about the future a little bit more and got more inspired, you know, like started buying cookbooks and, and just being in that fine dining world was kind of what appealed to me because it was the best, you know, the competitive side of it seemed like, you know, we could go as far as we wanted with it. So it was a tough transition. You know, I moved, I left home at 16, moved in staff accommodation at 17. Um, so I was living away from home and I didn't know anybody. So all that transition was quite a shock to me because I'd grown up in an area which, like I said, was pretty rough pretty industrious and now I'm like living out in the countryside at this fancy you know country house hotel in a nice part of Scotland it was just it was a little bit of a change of scene for sure and a bit of a shock to the system. That's an, uh, that's an interesting point you raised because there's a lot of people out there who um, who might be looking at moving in staff accommodation for the first time or who are experiencing it currently like I mean what was how did that go down? Like when you first moved in for the first, I don't know, six six months to a year, what, what was your experience? Yeah, that? definitely. I think moving in, it was a little scary. You know, I, I remember my dad dropping me off with all my stuff and that moment where like you're kind of being left at the school gates, you know, it's like they're gone now and I'm here and I'm now an adult and I have to like figure all this stuff out, you know. And not that like growing up because my mum and dad were in the industry, we were quite used to like, you know, making our own dinner and, and sorting out our own laundry and all that sort of stuff. So that wasn't really a shock, but it was just like the isolation, I think, living in a country house hotel in the middle of kind of nowhere, how it, how it seemed, where there's not like shops open that late and there's not a lot of things going on. From where I'd lived before, there was always people out in the street and there's always things happening. So I, I, I struggled a little bit, to be honest. That was probably the first time I ever sort of struggled with any sort of, you know, mental health stuff. I think that's probably like, alone a little bit depressed a little bit sad but not too bad just that general i'm away from home type vibe luckily the people i worked for were really nice really supportive and it sort of faded away quite quickly and then i became an adult and i really like then loved that independence you know i loved being living away from home having my own room you know that my own sort of lock and key i could do what i want invite whoever i wanted and be back what time i wanted and that really appealed to me then and what was the culture like during that time as well? Because uh, not to, not to give all staff houses that rap, but it's generally like a, it's a bit of a free for all. That, that, that house was a riot. <laughs> it was a riot. There was always shenanigans, always parties, always uh, you know. It was quite. It was it was cool because at that hotel that I worked at, there was a lot of like it was all young people and a lot of people sort of from France and Spain and you know doing like summer jobs like waiting staff. So everybody was like kind of having fun and, you know, we got quite a few complaints from the owners for sure about, you know, maybe not looking after the place as much and you'd have to start inspecting it. And some, you know, some nights were worse than others. Um, but the owners are definitely on our case a lot about drinking too much and making a lot of noise for the other neighbours and tidying up. And But I, again, I loved it. It was like such fun. Even like meeting, you know, sort of being around sort of foreign staff for the first time as well at that age and 
you know, you get downstairs and the French guy's making his breakfast and you're seeing things that they were cooking and having for their breakfast it was a totally different, you know, place from where I grew up and seeing some French guy at eight in the morning making an omelette, for example, it just wasn't where I grew up. You know, you'd have cereal or toast and that was it. So it was kind of cool and they've got like yeah. a little, you know, ham on and their little baguettes and stuff. And I loved the, the staff house thing. It was really good. I think, you know, staff house can be, can be a bit shit to be honest i think you know unless the standard of it is good and and you know food and stuff like that is quite difficult if you're getting fed at the hotel um and some accommodations are nicer than others of course but this one was actually quite nice so it was a good experience for sure it's nice and so from there you sort of uh, i mean from the sound of things you you've already you're curious about different cultures and different you know different foods and the way that people uh, you know eat. So where where did that did that inspire your journey? Yeah, forward? I think you know the, my whole life growing up. I grew up, you know, I'm born in 1983, so I sort of grew up in an era where MTV, all that stuff was like on the go. That was the the thing of it. Chicago Bulls were the best sports team in the world, and for some reason, living in Fife in Scotland, I was obsessed with like all American things, like American sports, American TV hip-hop music like it was all that for me so I'd always sort of thought about America a lot and traveling and strangely you know I knew you know when I grew up everybody was like you have to go to London if you want to be a serious chef or you want to be something you need to spend the time and I was like okay I, I kind of like London but what's after London or what's bigger than London what could I do that was more and the, the restaurant I was working at um we'd I'd, we'd gone to like a demo at Gordon Ramsay's first restaurant in Glasgow and he came out and he had a chat with us at the table afterwards just because we're all chefs and uh, so we met Gordon he had a chat with me and he, he sort of said to me at the time and I was only you know 19 20 at the time listen if you ever want to come to London and work for me or whatever just give us a call give us a shout and I think he said it a little bit off the cuff just like as a, a sort of thing he said to a lot of people but it really like weighed on my mind and I became obsessed about it. And I'd already like had all these books and I was, you know, boiling point and everything was all on my radar. Um, and I sort of thought about it and thought about it. And I was like, I really, I, I really want to move out of Scotland and do something big. So people like, will kind of respect that. And I heard that he was open in New York. I read it in the caterer and I just, that was it. I was like, I have to go to New York. Like everything points to New York. So I wrote them a letter, asked them, listen, I, I really want to work in New York. And I got an email back uh, pretty quickly about, okay, you can come down to the Connaught and do a trial to get a job in New York. So that was the sort of entry point of moving abroad. Um, so 23, I'm going down to London, pretty much like for the first time, to be honest, even though we'd grown up in like sort of Essex for a little while. And, you know, I'd been to London a couple of times uh, but nothing, you know, I, I wasn't down there as an adult used to a tube or anything like that. So went down, did a trial, a couple of days at Connaught, met some really great people. And at the time, I remember they they do like a test. They sort of give you a box of ingredients and you've got to make like a mayonnaise or you've got to like bone out a piece of lamb and cook it. I remember the sous chef there vividly he was scottish his name is neil borthwick who i now know is like obviously an amazing chef and i didn't understand things that they wrote down like i didn't understand what me meant and they put like french terms 
And I just, honestly, it was like another standard I just didn't have a clue about. And he really, like, sort of gave me a lot of pointers about how not to fuck it up. Because I think he knew, like, he'd gone to Fife College and he kind of knew kind of my, where, you know, the kind of place where I'd maybe be come from. So he helped me out a lot, gave me some pointers. I still messed it up completely. I'd never turned an artichoke before, you know. To be honest, I'd never made a mayonnaise up until that point either. And these things blew my mind how difficult they were, how to brunoise a shallot. And even though I'd worked at like three rosette Michelin star level, some of those things just didn't happen at those restaurants. So I just didn't ever see it. And it just never, was never on my brain. So I walked away from it deeply embarrassed, was sure I'd effed it up. You know, that's it. I'm going back to Scotland, kind of with my tail between my legs. What am I going to do? I'm a bit of a failure. And I think that was another brush with, that sort of sadness in the industry of like how harsh that can feel for some people, the, re- the sort of rejection of it. But it was all in my head. I got back, they sent me an email saying that they would offer me a job, which I was shocked. Like I was absolutely shocked. And then as I like almost to that point, I was like, well, I don't even think I can do it now. Like, I just think that's too scary. That's too hard for me. Sat on it for a little bit. And then I actually booked some stages in New York prior to the the, the the Gordon Ramsay thing going ahead. So I went to New York by myself, spent a week staging in restaurants just to see if I could actually hack it before I sort of commit to it. And uh, I went to Aquavit um, for a week. And at the time, Marco Samuelson was there. Um, there were a lot of good chefs. Now that I know who what the other chefs were like, like Freddie Brasuelas, who's got a two-star place in Brooklyn, he was one of the chefs there. Um, a lot of really good chefs were there at the time. So it was a great experience. And I realized how much I loved New York, you know. And it was strange because in Scotland, when I'd moved to, like, staff accommodation in the country, I always felt isolated and I always struggled with that isolation. But as soon as I hit New York and how busy it was and the life it was there, I felt like I was at home. Like, it was like, this is, this is the best thing ever. Got back. Wrote the email to Gordon Ramsay again, like I definitely want this job. Please, I have a job, and it kind of it went from there, really. That's amazing. So, a fortuitous meeting at one of the restaurants has ended up traveling across to New York and then working. working yeah, with the man himself, I mean that yeah. that comment was probably just something he said to a lot of people, but for me, it changed everything. You know, it changed my life. It changed my thought process. The opportunity just of that thing that I followed up really made the difference I think to like how things are now so there's two interesting things that you say there the first is like taking action on that particular you know thing rather than just going oh yeah that was a nice thing to have said like actually going yeah I'm hungry for this Mm -hmm. I I want this and and following it up and almost creating your own destiny which is um which is cool but the, the other thing you touched upon was the and it's, it's quite curious as well to me is, is the impact that the uh, interview and that the, you know, the, the, the first touch had because of like lack of, I say lack of skill set, but like not being skilled enough or feeling skilled enough and that, that impact that that had yeah. on you um, in terms of your men- mental well-being. And I think that's something that we, you know, we, I think we need to be more conscious of in the industry as well. And, and although it was only a brush during an interview, sure. phase, but, you know, ultimately if someone's in a position where they don't have the skill sets and they're not learning them, like that long term could be quite detrimental, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's, you don't know how that sort of stuff's going to affect people's confidence. You know, it's like 
this industry I think is intimidating anyway you know for people that are just coming into it it's a fucking scary place to be if you go and to that sort of top level I imagine a 17 18 year old now going to work for some you know a two or three star restaurant now and I've been around enough of them to understand the anxiety that you get from that because you don't know and you don't want to mess up and you don't know what's at risk and you you know these kitchens can be aggressive you know and we all know that and that can really scare the shit out of someone and um, it's always something that stuck with me when I became a head chef and sort of thought back how that how that made me feel and I think um, it also spurred me on for sure because I didn't want to be um, the the chef in the kitchen that wasn't good enough or I didn't want to be that was lacking or, or someone that was behind so I you know I, I really wanted to make up the time and I knew I had to go and do that process no matter how scary it was going to work for Gordon Ramsay was was everything to me like I had to do it even though I knew that I would be probably the least experienced one there it's a it's a fine fine line isn't it between being um stressed to the point where you're like you're you know you're driven and you're yeah to succeed and to grow yourself to the point where actually on the flip side of it you're over you're over stressed because you you're just not you know you, you're not achieving what you want to achieve or you don't feel like you're skilled enough and there's, there's it's a very very fine line between like you stress and dis- yeah, distress, yeah isn't it, for really? sure and i think i think that comes down to like the environment as well like you know the difference between being stressed or it being something that's inspiring you to take on a challenge is definitely down to the environment i think it's how you're treated it's how others interact with you and you know, some people can get over it. There's some other restaurants that I've been in when I was at that age, sort of doing stages at two stars. I just, you know, <laughs> the level of aggression was definitely too stressful for sometimes. Uh, I definitely won't name any restaurants, but there was some times that I thought, there's just no way anybody could do that. You know, it was just so stressful. But this, this time around, it was definitely something that inspired me to get better, for sure. That's amazing. And that's led you to, to you know, achieving some some great accolades yourself and you know tell us a little bit about what you're up to at this moment in time. yeah COVID aside. yeah yeah <laughs> COVID aside. so basically you know after I spent a long time in New York I was there for almost six years I came back to the UK briefly for a year sort of won my own three visits and just wasn't really enamored with being back in the UK to be honest after living abroad I really liked living abroad so I had landed a job in Barbados and I was there for like three years and um which takes me up to now yeah I've been back in Scotland now for seven years opened my own restaurant called Azel which at the time was um you know it's kind of a new restaurant it was uh, sort of very casual sort of inspired by like the Chateaubriand and Septime in Paris where it was just going to be like super low key, tasted menu, surprise menu, and um, there was no one really doing that in Scotland at the time. So it was it was it was something new, and it's something that I felt really passionate about. Especially after being in a more corporate environment, I kind of wanted to get back to just being like a cool and casual sort of place. Um, and living in New York definitely like inspired that hundred percent. Um, which has led on to our second restaurant called Noto. So we now have two restaurants in the city. Um, and they're both, you know, they're both really successful. They're both really busy. Um, it's been a, a tough, you know, I haven't got any investors or anything. I've done it all myself. So 
it's been a tough ride up until now, but we've finally got them both into a place where I think they're doing really well. And um, I said COVID aside, but ultimately, like, you know, your your bookings are strong and things are looking, you know, looking positive. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think luckily, you know, both the restaurants we've kind of built from the ground up. We've always had a really good reputation like in Edinburgh and in Scotland in general. You know, kind of the first restaurant, Azo, kind of always had a waiting list because it was small. Um, so it's always had a lot of longevity in it for me. There's always been busy... And then the second one opened up and we got a lot of reviews and we kind of learned how to open a restaurant better the second time around, to be honest, because no one really knew about Azo for a couple of years. It just sort of ticked away and it was doing all right. And then, you know, it got more and more popular, which led us on to our second place. But I think with COVID, after COVID, yeah, we've, we've got one of them back open last week. Um, the reservations have been really strong. I think, you know, definitely appearing on Great British Menu helped. Uh, get a bit more bookings, people doing staycations and moving up here and, and doing stuff. Uh, Azel's due to, so we relocated Azel in the COVID times to a, a five-star hotel and this due to launch middle of May. So the bookings there are also very strong and it's a bigger spot. So it's, uh, it's going to be a busy rest of the year after being off for so long and Hundred percent mm. thankful that we've not gone bankrupt because I was pretty fucking sure we were going to. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's uh, something that was shared across yeah. a good percentage of the industry as well. Like, um, but it, I think it's it, this time has shown how resilient hospitality is and how you know. Yes, we've had some help from the government, but to be fair, they've been pretty <laughs> pretty tough on hospitality as an industry. Yeah. Really. Um, I think more damage than good, but you know, you're through the other side and, and it's allowed us to be in perhaps a better position. I think the next 12, 24 months are going to be absolutely slamming for hospitality. Now we're, we're going to be, yeah, I definitely think it's going to be a yeah, busy bounce back. I think people are so desperate to get out and get back open. And it's kind of like good timing going into the summer, you know, Edinburgh traditionally is very busy in the summer anyway. Um, and some, tourism will come back um i kind of i guess we're kind of lucky being edinburgh in that sense because it's a great restaurant city so it's already got a big attraction for that so i think it will be certainly the bookings are looking pretty busy it does lead me on to a nice question actually it's not one that i've asked a guest before but you know since certainly in the uk we we're we're, we're, we're getting to almost full steam and we're not that far away um as will you guys be soon one thing that we're struggling with at this moment in time is, is staff, mm. um, specifically chefs. There seems to be uh, a lack of, of chefs. And I was curious to see if, A, you'd experience that and B, what your thoughts on that particular subject was. Yeah, I, I know that that is the problem industry-wide. And I hate to be the polar opposite, but I haven't actually struggled for chefs. So I've retained all the chefs that I had. And now, obviously, we've... Um, grown into a bigger space we've had to take people on and when I advertised I got a lot of good CVs um, and the guys that we've employed you know have very good backgrounds so I feel like me personally I've kind of done all right you know and we're only right now we're only looking for a restaurant manager for Azel and I, we're getting good applicants for that too so I understand why there might be challenges in the industry with other people I mean we've advertised 
quite heavily and being quite known for switching to a four day work week very you know publicly and we've been doing that for a couple mm-hmm. well about three years now so i feel like stuff like that has helped us and generally speaking i think our reputation is that we you know we, we look after people quite well so i feel like that's come back to us a little bit in some sort of karma um but i certainly know you know my friends who manage other places and other chefs definitely are struggling for chefs and i i'm not really sure what the answer because if you do the maths on it it doesn't make sense does it everybody's like furloughs ended chefs don't want to go back to work everybody's quit their jobs but then there just must be a surplus of chefs out of work i don't know it's a strange thing i i mean we're, we're about to commission a study hopefully with the help of uk hospitality to be able to try and get to the bottom of this because i don't want to be sitting here saying oh well do you watch it's just the fact that chefs have had a better work-life balance not being at work and they don't want to go back because i don't mm. think that's necessarily the case i think it's a combination of different factors and i'd like to get some tangible yeah. data so that we can say to the industry well actually brexit's had an effect on this industry by this and also you know on top of that there's a whole host of other things um but it's interesting that i think that <laughs> perhaps company cultures and and processes has got a big role to play i mean it's interesting to hear that you switched to a four three four three working week i mean what what inspired that three years ago before this was really uh you know on the radar yeah so i mean i've said this before it was a selfish move at the time i was going through some shit like i was definitely we just had our first son my wife and i uh, the restaurant Azel was just slamming. It was so busy. I was working every hour God send, and every hour I wasn't working, I wasn't sleeping because the baby was up through the night, and I was trying to help with that as well. Not that I was a particularly good help at that time because I was like a zombie. Um, so the pressures of the restaurant at the time, I had huge ambitions for the restaurant. You know, it kind of goes back to that same thing of like not feeling like I was good enough for something. I I put so much work into it that I wanted it to be so much better all the time. And for lack of money and space and stuff like that, I always felt it was never good enough. So I just sort of pushed myself harder and harder and harder. What resulted in that was I started having these weird symptoms that I was becoming off balance all the time. So I was having these weird moments where I was walking through the restaurant and the restaurant manager would be like, are you okay? Like you're walking funny. Like I was literally swaying this way. I was like, yeah, I just feel tired and that. And it just kept on happening and happening and happening. And then I started thinking, oh shit, I think there's something wrong with me. So I I went to the doctor. You're probably just tired, you know, stress. You know, it'll go away. And it just didn't. And I think at that time with the pressure of the restaurant, I was drinking more to sort of try and relax myself, like almost self-medicating with alcohol, which became more and more and more all the time, where it was like every night I was having one or two glasses of wine. The thing about ordering a restaurant, there's always wine available, right? Mm. And I just got in this really bad situation where I was working in excess of 80 to 90 hours a week. I was miserable because I wasn't sleeping. I started to gain weight because I wasn't looking after myself. I was, you know, had this this weird swaying thing going on in my brain. And I started thinking, oh my God, this this is getting bad. And then I started getting worse symptoms. I started getting what I now know is like anxiety and sort of panic attacks uh, where I was just, 
I just couldn't control like the fear and the worry of things having hanging over my head. I think with the restaurant, you know, it's, there's always a lot of pressure financially because the margins are slim, right? So payroll, taxes, VAT, you know, we're trying to push for accolades and be like a really fancy restaurant and be really great. It's just like the whole thing. And then the culmination of being a dad for the first time, it was just like imploding in my head. I just couldn't handle it. And the symptoms got worse and worse. And then I started finding myself like going to the doctor more and more often. Turns out, you know, I was having really bad anxiety, really bad panic attacks, coupled with what I now, it took a year to get diagnosed, but I've got something called vestibular neuronitis. So it's basically an infection uh, in the inner ear that distorts signals to your brain. So I had like MRIs and all that sort of stuff, and it took ages to get diagnosed, but that was basically causing me to, because I was so run down, I was just getting iller and iller all the time. And basically I had chronic fatigue, and that wasn't allowing my body right. to combat this infection in my ear. And um, I just had like all this stuff happening at the same time. So I had chronic fatigue, uh, I had this vestibular neuritis and then that was all bringing on anxiety and panic attacks because of the stress of it because I you know, they couldn't figure it out for a year and I was sure I was dying you know I was like convinced this is fucking it I'm on the way out I've like burnt myself out so hard and there's unexplained things happening to me and anxiety was just getting worse and worse and worse I was developing heart palpitations I was like calling the doctors constantly being in an ambulance you know it's like thought I was having a stroke or a heart oh. attack, you know, and I'm straight into A&E and I'm getting, you know, having to wear a heart monitor for two weeks and, you know, having all these scans and stuff. So it was just really difficult time. And the, the, the sort of basic answer to it was the doctor was like, I got into a specialist and they're like, you have to take time off. Like you have to stop doing what you're doing or you're probably going to kill yourself. And the damage you've done already is pretty big. And that was like, that was it. That was a big wake up call. Because the year before, my father had passed away uh, from a stroke at 59, uh, and he was a chef. So, like, I sort of almost had this moment where I've seen the end of the story. You know, I've seen my dad in this industry, all the shit that's gone along with it, his drinking problem, alcoholism, temper, all the downfalls of his life culminated in him having a stroke at 59 and dying. And I just had a, a boy and I was like, I just, I have to be present for my children and my family, you know, and it was, became more important to me to get fixed. And the only way I seen it happening because I couldn't just take the time off because I was a head chef, chef owner, you know, plumber, electrician. I was everything to the restaurant. So I can't just, oh yeah, I'm you know, leave it to the sous chef and I'm going to swan off and, and fix myself. So I thought the best way to do it was to shut another day a week. So if we shut the Sunday, I'd have three clear days with nothing to do at the restaurant. And I think that would help me. So I'm already increasing my time off. So that was it. That was the big thing. So we, we sort of reconfigured how to do it, looked at the numbers. You know, what we basically did was we had, I think at the time we had 32 seats. So if we were shutting a Sunday night, we were kind of losing, you know, 32 covers. And we just spent a bit of money change the seating and the layout because we had like fixed seat benching which isn't very good for space in a restaurant to be honest took all them out put mm. tables and chairs in and increased the covers by six so then 
if we could do six extra covers and turn them, we would cover the 32 covers that we lost on that Sunday. And it worked. And for a small restaurant with no investors and relatively unknown at you know, that time as well, we switched to the four-day work week and all the staff benefited from it. And I started to get healthier and look after myself and you know, started to have that time where I could do exercise and things that I'd never actually taken seriously before in my life, sort of cut the drinking out completely, started running and started looking into like the whole process of mental health and well-being because I had to because I thought that I was going to die <laughs> so it changed everything and before that you know I never I never really bought into the whole idea of it to be honest I you know I would, I would have I would have laughed at it probably before I'd have probably definitely poo-pooed it and not taken it seriously until it happened to me and then I started finding myself you know doing meditation doing exercise like taking time to to, to relax and, and spend time by myself and sort of deal with the things that are in my head. And it worked, you know, I instantly started to feel better. So it was a light bulb thing, you know, it's like, fucking hell, it actually does work. You actually have to do this. And ever since, we've just been on that sort of same path. Thank you for sharing for a start, because I think what you said is, is, will be massively helpful to a lot of people who perhaps at that same point that where you were, you're like, I don't know what's going on with yeah. me here, but I'm, I'm, I'm sinking and I'm not sure why. And I think, I think for many people who have experienced or are experiencing mental health issue, and who are in the midst of it, perhaps for the first time, or have been in the midst for a long time, you know, we don't know what's going on. Like we're in that same yeah. position, aren't we? Where you're like, fucking hell. Like, why can't I just get motivated? Why do I feel like sad? Or why am I having panic attacks and rising anxiety? Yeah. Or what is, you know, what is anxiety? Yeah. So I think you know, the fact that you've shared that is going to be hugely beneficial to a lot of people. But um, yeah, what a, yeah, what a journey. I think, I think the thing about it is, like the biggest thing that I've sort of taken away from it is exactly that. It's like understanding what those feelings were. Because I understand there's multiple facets to how people feel with these things. I never felt sad. I never felt depressed. I never felt like low. Like I, I've always felt quite up on it, but I just couldn't understand what was happening. It was like a mystery. And then the mystery just started turning into a nightmare. And I genuinely thought there's just something really wrong, but no one's listening to me and no one can seem to understand it. Everybody's like, yeah, you know, it could be this, it could be that. And it took so long to get diagnosed with the, the vestibular thing. It, um, it just, it, it started to drive me crazy. You know, and that's, Maybe a different thing on the mental health thing is like actually when you are dealing with something that's medical and you don't realize it due to the nature of how I've been working, um, it becomes, a, you know, such a confusing time. And I think anybody that's going through that would go through the same thing. I was talking to my family and friends and even my wife. You know, I didn't really feel like anybody understood what I was trying to say. And I was being as articulate as I could to try and tell the doctor like how this was feeling, but they just didn't seem to understand. Um, and by the time I got on quite heavily medication and, and sort of started relaxing and, and doing all these things, you know, a year over a year had passed by. And yeah, I think that's just learning about med, uh, you know, mental health and, and all these things and what the signs are, what you know, what anxiety and stuff is for people and it can be caused by so many different things. It's really important to look at it. Again, you know, I was definitely that chef that I would cut myself, burn myself, break a leg, whatever, I would be in the kitchen. Like, you know, and I didn't ever think that was anything wrong with that. But I think 
after speaking to doctors and stuff, there's so much stuff that goes into that. You know, if you're constantly feeling pain, like through your whole life, you know, it starts to, it starts to lodge itself somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And, and there's, you know, there's quite a lot of holistic approaches to mental health and well-being that I, I personally agree with. Um, you know, there, there's certain, there's a, there's an approach called human givens. So it's um, a group of psychologists who have, basically established um quite effective methods of, of you know treating mental illness that don't mm-hmm. involve drugs um and it's usually you know they, it's about connecting and getting to the root cause of why you're experiencing it in the first place so for example for you it's like the long hours and the pressure and everything else that's building up but once you start to pick away at those and reduce those it actually has an impact on not just your mental well-being but your, your physical yeah. well-being as well but as you say sometimes it's difficult to one articulate because you can't touch no. or feel you know, someone a third party can't touch or feel what you're going through um and like you know we were chatting to kirk harworth about getting diagnosed with lyme's disease and and he was mentally mm-hmm. very healthy but for four years there was something going on with him and his body was just being attacked by this disease and eventually that took yeah. its toll like because especially with the stress and everything else was affecting his physical health, which ultimately affected, it was a catalyst for his mental yeah, health yeah. and well-being. So it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? You go through these stages of, I, I with mental health, even you know, having experienced it like when I was really quite young and getting depression, but not really knowing what it was. Even later on in life, I was like, yeah, mental health, it just doesn't really exist. You know, you, people suffer from mental illness, but it's because they're not able to cope with life and stuff. Yeah which was a very naive and, you know, um, highly offensive view, to be honest yeah. with you. But it's not until later on where you can actually, you realise how impactful um, and how much of an impact it makes to your life if you're not looking after yeah. it. So, I mean, it brings me on nicely to, you say you've introduced um, measures now. Obviously, the 4-3 working week has worked well. I mean, did you have to increase the size of your team for that or were they able to, to handle the additional six covers? We we didn't in the beginning because we couldn't we couldn't say that we were we could afford to right at the start because um, we weren't sure if it was going to work. So we did actually in the end, yes, is the answer. We did increase the team by one. Um, but yeah, we, we sort of we implemented that and not just like so that was my story with it, and that's kind of how it affected me. But then you start to see the other chefs and the other staff how it helped them. Like, and they were all, you know. They were, they were, I don't think a lot of them were going through anything that I was going through, but they instantly started to benefit from the days off. Um, the thing I would probably say about the four-day work week is that it's, there's been ups and downs during the course of doing it because, you know, we started off with the mentality that we would just cram those, you know, 50-odd, 60-odd hours in the four days, which very instantly became the same problem. So I think I've got to point that mm. out, that it's not about cramming 60 hours into four days so we try as hard as we can to stick to like a 12 hour day so you're sort of hitting the 48 50 mark maximum um and luckily now we're in a position we're a completely different restaurant nowadays you know we're backed in a hotel now so it's a little bit easier financially for us to do that and add people now into the team so now we've gone you know it used to be me and two others when we started now i've got six full-time plus me um you know plus a, a, a sleuth of other people like kitchen pours and, and stuff helping us do the food prep so there's like you know we've gone up from i think we had 12 
10 or 11 employees, generally speaking, but now we're up to like 22, 23. So it's, it's helped us because we've managed the hours and that's a constant thing. Like it's not, there's been months where it's been shit for sure. And, you know, someone's maybe left and we haven't been able to fill it in the time and I've had to do more. So there's been peaks and troughs in that time. It's not been a garden of roses the whole time, but it's something as a company that we're trying to always work towards. Like I get grumpy with the chefs now if they're not trying to do it. I've, you know, given stern sort of chats to some of the head chefs in the sites about, you know, because they're, they're falling into the same traps that I have and I've seen it and I've experienced it and I'm trying to stop that happening under my watch because I feel a certain responsibility to not exploit people in that manner. You know, it's like they would work a hundred hours for me because they all have respect for me, I think, and they appreciate the job that they're in, but mm. I wouldn't ever want to push that boundary with them because, you know, since this has happened, I sort of look back on myself and I thought, I wish I'd been a better boss the whole time I'd been in a head chef position. You know, I looked at, as soon as we looked at the working hours, we looked at everything. Like I looked at my conduct with people. I looked at my temperament with people. And I looked at, like you said before, like until you start really digging into that and realizing there's actually probably stuff in your head that you kind of need to unpack anyway, that probably led me up until that point. Not just the stress of the restaurant, not just the working, like the actual, my actual own background you know, it's had some pretty colourful moments in it leading up to this, like, personally. So I think it was something that I reflected on how I had spoke to people in the past, how my, you know, for, for lack of better words, I was pretty tempestuous when I first opened Azel. You know, nothing was ever good enough. Nothing was ever going to be good enough. And I threw my toys out of the pram a lot with people. And if people didn't, you know, jump to that, I got really upset about it. And I think I was trying to, I thought in my head I was striving for something in some sort of like ingenious way. But actually what I was doing was sort of torturing myself and the people around me just, I was a miserable bastard to be around. And I think I probably went through chefs and staff that would have actually added something to the team had I seen that before. Um, Which I think is not just, like I say, not just the work week. It's like how I've approached the job now in the last, like, probably the last three years, maybe two and a half, three years, I've changed completely as a as a chef and as a person and put all my personal ambitions kind of to one side and just really focused on the companies, the people that work within them and the guests that are coming and how we approach that. And it's benefited like 100%. It's paid me back already, you know, in, in, in health and and just the balance of life and, and everything that's going on. I think we're in the best position we've ever been in, to be honest. Thank you for for showing that vulnerability and being honest about that as well, because uh, no one in, in hospitality world, no one at all in, the, in life is perfect, no. and we've all made, made mistakes. And I think that certainly from back of house side of things, there are many people who have learned behaviours from, you know, places they've worked and environments they've been in because of the way that hospitality has yeah. been, you know, certainly 10 yeah. years ago or so. Um, that combined with emotional management or lack of emotional management and stress and pressure that we put upon ourselves. You know, we've all had these experiences, but it's one thing having them, but it's another thing being able to say, actually, do you know what? Yeah, I fucking... That was shit time and it was shit for the people and it was shit for myself and your hands up and that in itself is 
incredibly powerful and i'm very thankful that you yeah you shared that mate because it's um it's important it's yeah very important. i think if you can get to the point you know what i think the big thing a part of like the big thing with it is is like you've almost got to like and it sounds kind of cheesy but it, it makes sense to me it's like you've always got to like let go of your whole ego because your ego is the thing that but for me was stopping me being like a better person i remember my wife saying to me one time why did you open your own restaurant oh because i was fucking pissed off working for other people and i hated it are you any happier now well i wasn't i was really miserable like really miserable and i was making people miserable around me and what did i want out of the restaurant well it's what originally i thought i wanted just to work for myself and do my own thing and then it's like awards and all these sort of things come along in your head and you start chasing all these dreams and then actually i lost sight of the whole project from the beginning from the very beginning it overwhelmed me but probably because i wasn't ready to open my own restaurant i thought i was because my whole life i want to own my own restaurant i want to own my own restaurant i've got to be 28 and get a michelin star you know i've got to be the youngest one in scotland to get it i've got to be this i've got to be that and none of it happened absolutely none of it happened and i'm the happiest now i've ever been in my life and i don't have any of the things that i thought i might have had you know i remember telling a chef years ago i want to be 30 with my own restaurant and i want to have a porsche and i think to myself now what and a michelin star i think what a fucking idiot you know oh an absolute tool i should have been just saying i want a busy restaurant and i want to be happy you know i want to be healthy i want to be a, like watch my kids growing up now that is absolutely 100% the most important thing in my life to me and it always will be and I you know restaurants accolades all that sort of stuff could come and go I could give it up tomorrow to be honest uh, but nothing would change how I feel about the time I've spent over the last three years building you know bridges with my kids because my oldest son he didn't get to see me until he was about three to be totally honest because I just worked like an absolute idiot and we didn't bond at all, mm. um, which kind of turns me around to my, my next sort of bit of it is like in COVID times, we had another baby. Um, and my experience with my second kid has been completely different. You know, we bonded and I've been at home almost for a whole year. And it's been like the best time of my life. You know, and I, I hate to say that in times because I know COVID has really hurt a lot of people and it's changed a lot of people's businesses and it's really ruined a lot of things for people but like for me personally it's probably been forced on me and it's probably been the best thing for me in retrospect because i've looked at the businesses i've looked at my life and i've looked at everything in a different viewpoint and i've had you know the most amazing time being at home cooking and with the kids and all that sort of stuff so it's a lot to be said for like you know looking outside of that picture a little bit and understanding that your ego is probably stopping you from being you know a better version of yourself i think yeah well said well said 100 percent. and so personally then you've, you've mentioned meditation which i used to think was a load of mumbo jumbo yeah. um how did you how did you stumble across that and what's the impact been for you so i stumbled across it as soon as i realized that you know anxiety was a problem for me at this time with the, the medical stuff i just started looking up like what you can do and obviously meditation is one of the quickest ones that comes up and i do what everybody did at the beginning i got the um the my headspace uh, app and i started listening to them and i mm -hmm. i tell you i used to listen at night time and i went to bed and for years 
I didn't know like when I lived in Barbados, I used to find it really relaxing when it it rains like really really heavy there. So that noise, like a distortion yeah, yeah. of noise, used to really relax me. I used to sit on the balcony and literally watch the rain pouring down, boring as fuck, but it used to make me really relaxed. So I now realise that actually there's like YouTube programs that you can listen to like ten hours of rainfall because that relaxes people. So for me, yeah. in the the my Headspace app. Um, I started listening to it at night time and it was just people talking about, you know, fake fantasy towns and, you know, a circus that doesn't actually exist. And I slept like an absolute log every single night, just falling asleep with my headphones in. And I haven't looked back on it since, you know, I, I still do it. Um, not as regularly as I used to, but I still do it. I find it really common to have something overtake my thoughts for a long time. Because again, well, I've got two restaurants. I've got thirty-five staff or whatever. I've got two kids, a wife. Like I've got a lot of stuff going on all the time. So when I get to bed, instead of thinking about tomorrow's menu or the orders or who's going to show up, who's not going to show up, or any of that sort of stuff, I'm doing the meditation stuff, and I actually get that better sleep. So I'm sleeping deeper. Get up at you know still six o'clock in the morning with the kids, um, but I've felt so much better and clearer ahead so i can't recommend it enough to people i've actually you know forced it down all my staff's throats for a couple of years now and they sort of like get you know shut up about the fucking meditation stuff a little bit because it's just i think it's the best thing in the world to be honest i know but the thing is when you think of meditation i don't know if you're anything like me but i used to think well you know i did eight years of martial arts so i was kind of meditation and mindfulness was part of part of the the style of martial arts i used to do but even back then i was like look i'm not a buddhist monk sat in a temple with my legs crossed listening to candles and going hum like no, none of this stuff is yeah. for me and it's not until you you try it just once just once like a minute that's all it takes like it could be sat in the car it could be sat outside or in bed and all of a sudden you just feel like a brand new human being afterwards it's mind-blowing yeah. and it's something that we've been doing for thousands of years but we're just only recently started to understand the benefits. Absolutely. I think I categorically was the person that would 100% have said, oh, exercise or meditation. It's, you know, it's all the bollocks. It's not going to work, you know. And I remember my wife suggesting it to me, um, and I, I think it was just the next thing that someone started to suggest to try to convince me it's going to work. It's not going to work. And, like, running, I run a lot now. And, you know, if I don't run between sort of, 15 and 20 miles a week i get a little bit grumpy now with it the running has really taken over the medic meditation for me um and again i never thought i'd been a runner like i was not that guy i used to sort of poo poo people in the park with you know headphones and joggers on and now i'm that guy and i think i wish i'd again it was all to do with my ego because i was probably insecure about it and not like embracing something that i hadn't done before i was just a bit pig-headed and ignorant and i i look at myself now and I'm like, you're an absolute tool, mate. You should have been doing this for years. Yeah, I know. It's it's interesting. Like one of the things that got me on this journey is I went for a bit of a two year, like two year self-discovery and I, I threw myself into mental health to try and understand what was happening to me personally. And there was a, a couple of different resources I was reading about how we, mental health is actually quite a relatively easy topic to understand. All you have to do is take yourself back 36,000 years to when we were roaming the plains of Africa, you know, and how did we live? Well, we migrated, we traveled a lot, we were always yeah. moving. 
we were always in groups and feeling secure and hunting for our next meal. And we had purpose and we were, had the community and we were moving. And actually, like, I mean, I wasn't around 36,000 years ago to say that actually everyone was quite mentally well-being and there was probably like a lot of <laughs> intertribal yeah, 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 rivalry yeah, and all sorts yeah. going on. But like if when we compare our lives now, we're so far removed from that basic human being. Like, you know, what animal, like how many animals are depressed? Usually the only animals that you see in zoos or in captivity yeah. are, are depressed and they, they exhibit signs that perhaps they wouldn't do in the wild. So when we apply that same principle to ourselves... Yeah. All of a sudden you're like, and it's not always that simple. I no, appreciate, no, you know, no, there no. are times where you've got chemical imbalances or childhood sure. trauma, or, or there are some, some categorical things. But when we start to look at how we're living yeah. just as a, as a basic foundation to start, there's some big clues nowadays. Yeah. Um, I've gone through a couple of things where yeah. I've thought about that a lot. And like I said, this, the, the birth of my second child, I was much more of a, a present father. <laughs> to say the least. So I started going to all the birthing classes and stuff. My wife had a home birth. And in the classes, they were talking about, like, you know, obviously making children feel secure and stuff like that. And the number one things are, like, you know, small, um, quiet quiet room, you know, in the dark, with not a lot on. And, like, for sleep training with the with the baby, we started using, um, you know, the, the white noise machines. And from birth, he's just slept like an absolute legend the whole time. And I think there's something in that. Like, he's been warm, quiet, with that distorted noise, uh, in the dark, in his little crib. And I think that's like a, you know, a bit of a metaphor for how you think about your whole life. It's not being on the the motorway, screaming into my mobile phone at 8 in the morning because the supplier hasn't turned up. And, you know, all that stuff starts fogging in your mind. And it's the same with the kitchen spaces, I think. If you look at kitchens, predominantly, they're white plastic walled rooms that kind of look like asylum rooms, you know. So I think there's a lot to be said of, and they're all stainless steel equipment, which starts to feel like a prison. So I think there's two things there that you could feel like you're in an asylum institution or a prison. So as we're refurbing one of the restaurants and as we've done the other ones, it's like, Let's put like indoor plants in the kitchen. Let's put pictures up of things that like are cool. Like we like like I have a lot of rap inspirations and uh, you know chefs and stuff like that. And it's like trying making the kitchen actually feel like more of a home rather than this destitute sort of prison space that everybody's just stuck in for X amount of hours a day. Which it makes a difference to my mental health. I can tell you that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And again, there's no easy solution for for improving well-being, but you've touched upon a really key one, which we tend to not not really think about too much. But it's like working in environments with no no access to natural light, quite hot temperatures, yeah. <laughs> as you say, bright fluorescently yeah. lit rooms where you feel like you're trapped. Yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, we're in a zoo, yeah. and and we've got people looking through the window at you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just another component of it, yeah. isn't it? Really, yeah, for sure. Um, it leads me on to something else that we'll talk about afterwards, but I'm with the chief charity for the uh, hotel and catering um, commercial kitchen show at XL in London. And I'm hosting a panel whereby we're talking about the impacts of a kitchen layout on, okay, on yeah. mental health and well-being. So I'd love to love to have your yeah. thoughts on that. But, you know, there's things, 
things I'd like to touch upon, such as like induction hobs, for example, that don't produce as much heat or noise, and then yeah. like the fans and what sort of fans you're using. And what sort you won't of be surprised to know that we have all induction stoves in both our sites because of that reason. Yeah, yeah. really, yeah, that's amazing. Because it's it's how it's, much of a difference it it? every difference. Made. Like, yeah, I tell you some stuff like just specifically on the induction things. So we moved to induction stoves. Um, generally speaking, gas stoves are really rough you know they're hard hard metals the hard surfaces and they're on all day like if you've got a solid top it's just on all day and if you're on soft section you're cooking across that all day and all night it's just this one horrible temperature the whole time and like most people you know a bit of fresh air actually does you a lot of good you know i like driving my windows down i like poking my head out the window you know it's like it's nice feeling so when we went to change them we got custom built induction stoves uh, made for us and the reduction in heat is you know when you're because our first space was really small the kitchen was tiny so it was you know it was horribly hot and everybody just sweating all day and the summer was even worse so having the reduction in heat instantly made you feel more comfortable because you're just not sweating the whole time so and i don't know you know i get a sort of itchy head and the sort of like with the, the heat and stuff and it just starts to become really irritable so the induction stove definitely took that away the big thing for me is, and any chef that's listening to that or anybody that's ever cleaned a stove, like a, a solid top after a 16-hour day that's been abused all day by everybody, it takes fucking forever to clean them, man. You've got to wait for them to cool down because you can't even pour the water on them in case they buckle and bend and break the thermocouples. They were waiting an hour, 45 minutes to an hour just for it to cool down enough, and it's still raging hot, you know, so you're going to burn yourself probably cleaning the thing. And then you're going to have some arsehole chef yeah, like yeah. me being like, nah, there's a spot of dirt in the corner. You need to do it again. <laughs> you know, And it just takes forever to clean the fucking yeah. thing. So I was like, you know, we could actually get home probably an hour and a half earlier had we be able to clean. So an induction stove is like, it's 10 minutes, mate. It's like, it's so fast to clean it. And the guys, they appreciate that 100%. And I know, again, it's a privilege to be able to afford to buy an induction suite for the restaurants, but you'd be surprised how much these induction companies will help you. You know, finance companies will help you spread the payments and make it affordable. And, and you know, that's what we did. And again, if I can do any of these things, I have no investors. You know, I have, I've built the restaurant. I started my first restaurant with 23,000 pounds in the bank. That's what I started with. And I, had you know nothing else i don't own a house i don't have any mummy you know i don't have any mum or dad money that's given me any help it's just so we've got to this point we can afford to buy those stoves and it's helped the staff so much and i think you know they look after it so so good that they just would never want to be left without it and they'd never turn back so when we opened the second restaurant it was a no-brainer we got the same stove basically uh, from the same people installed in our, our second site and again it's just paid back dividends and it's probably more efficient as well that's amazing uh, i mean whilst as you say there's an investment there ultimately the return on it is is exponential and it's continuing as as time goes on yeah. so um yeah i'll be as i say i'll pick your brains yeah. after after this but um so to sort of wind this up there's there's two questions that I always sort of ask, which is, you know, we appeal a lot to the college, um, catering college industry. Um, I mean, we've trained close to 700 students in 
four months now and we're looking at building accreditations for this moving forward so for those who are looking at coming into the industry and listening to this podcast and trying to get a feel for the industry what sort of advice would you be able to give give them specifically i think my advice for people coming into the industry would be so i think like when you go into the industry, I think you've got to be really clear what things interest you. That start, that helps. Because I know a lot of people that have spent, you know, a lifetime in Michelin star restaurants and then ended up opening a cafe. You know, that was their sort of dream project at that point. And I'm like, maybe spent a long time doing something you probably hated. So definitely looking at your interests. And I think that's like a big thing that I've learned about the industry is I don't think there's any, you know, better or any worse sort of situation it's like so many avenues you can go down and they'll have the respect like if i was going to open a burger restaurant tomorrow i'd want it to be a really cracking burger restaurant and people have a lot you know i'd put a lot of work into it so i think there's so there's more acceptability now when i grew up it was like if you didn't work in michelin star places you were probably just a bit of a cowboy but now there's like respect on all levels so i think finding that thing you're interested in and sort of pursuing that um I think it's also really wise to sort of do your research about the companies you're going to work for, you know, and really ask questions. My whole life, up until about when I left for, probably when I came back to the UK after living in New York for a long time, I never asked anybody how much I was going to get paid. I never asked what holidays were. I never asked if there was staff meal. I never asked about uniforms. I just figured it out the whole time. And to be honest, a lot of things were better than others. And I think that might have swayed, you know, some of the companies I've worked for were really, really amazing in that respect. And it made a difference to my daily life. Like I worked at John George, a three-star in, in New York for a little bit. And they had like this whole staff canteen set up for the staff and you get a ticket service and you basically go down and you'd be treated like a customer. And it was amazing. It was like, and compared to, and I'll, I'll say this, compared to Gordon Ramsay, where we were eating cornflakes and fucking hot dogs after service you know it was a welcomed difference in how you thought so i think ask those questions uh how you know how the setups are how things are treated for people um and that might sway you into a better situation because there definitely are better employers out there than others you know there's some people that are still practicing in the old ways and and in the dark arts as it were um so definitely be clear where you're going ask the right questions and i think it's always nice to spend a day spend you know i used to be really nervous doing stages because i've done stages in a lot of big places and i used to be always really nervous but now i see the benefit of it a million percent because you can see how the day is you know you can go in and i can tell you as a chef oh we're all really lovely and we have a really good time and you know we all eat foie gras and french toast every day and it's amazing you know and we all do foot massages but the reality of it is is that we work really really hard and it is a tough day and I think you should see that and with no pressure, you know, I don't have stages running a section around and they come in, do a bit of chopping jobs and hang out basically and get them to taste some food and see what they think about it. So then you know what you're letting yourself in for because a lot of the jobs that I took or was going to take, I just never knew what I was getting myself in for. And I think that's really key. So that'd probably be my main things I'd say to someone getting into the industry is really do your homework, ask the questions, go and take a little bit of experience, you know, and be clear what you want in it because a lot of people chase things in this industry that they probably never really wanted and i think your happiness is, is the key thing to it so if you're interested in say japanese food or whatever pursue that you know it's a good point and a question that we get asked a lot is like well you know if i start asking about you know, breaks and well-being and that sort of thing and the employer turns around and 
react badly to those sort of questions. And I just basically say, well, there's a wealth of choice. We're in the third largest industry in the world. Like if that employer doesn't like those questions, they're probably not the right employer for you. Go and find someone yeah. who goes, do you know what? Bloody good questions. And here are the answers for them. Yeah. I mean, that's, answers are on the wall at that point, aren't they? If they don't like those type of questions, it's definitely the wrong place. I think, you know, again, with all our sites, we're trying to be as transparent as possible and be really honest with people as they come to the door. And if that puts them off, if that's not what they're looking for, it's better for everybody. It's better for them and it's better for me that we're not going to waste each other's time and, and hiding behind anything that's not, you know, if you don't like working nights and if it's, you know, weekends are important to you and stuff like that, this isn't the, the restaurant for you. So I think, yeah, if you, do, if you don't like those questions, you're in the wrong place. For sure. I think so. And I think that's another another thing that we need to address as an industry as well. And this is a sweeping statement, but my observations over being in it for like 12 years is that sometimes we're quick to hire because we need that space being filled, but the job role perhaps doesn't match what the expectations of the individual are, or they change. You know, so I've seen it far too often where a chef will take a position, be like, "Yeah, we're going for two rosettes," and then the owner's like, "Well, actually, I know I told you that, but here's what we're going to do. We're just going to be doing like you know, burgers and <laughs> burgers and beans, and, yeah. and the expectations yeah. don't match the reality of it. So I think it's important." even if it means you losing a member of staff because it doesn't fit that, at least you've got that full yeah. transparency and clarity moving forward. 100%. But, um, and uh, to to round this off, again, the last questions that I ask every single one of my guests, because I think it's, it's very important um, for people to learn from your experience, is that if you were to give a piece of advice to yourself, a 16-year-old version of yourself, one one you know, one nugget that actually just shapes your future, what would it be? God, one thing would be, it'd be hard to just say one thing to myself because <laughs> I wish I'd say a lot of things to myself, but I think... Hit us with the top three. Yeah, I think for me, with like the most important things to tell my younger self would be the same thing I said before, is like, you have to let go of any ego. You have to stop, you know, fantasizing about the person you want to be and just be the person that you are type thing you know like I always wanted to be a certain person but like I say I'm the happiest person there and I've got none of those things I thought was going to make me happy so drop your ego for sure um, I think for me and it's probably more of a personal one but I think it applies to a lot of people I wish I'd have believed in myself a little bit more you know at the times I went to Gordon Ramsay and, and my confidence was so low the anxiety was terrible at those times because I didn't believe in myself enough. It wasn't a lack of skill. You know, it wasn't a lack of talent. It wasn't a lack of anything. It was a lack of confidence. You know, I was puking up in the bins every before every service at Gordon Ramsay because I was so fucking nervous about it. And it was just because it wasn't that I wasn't prepared. It was because I just didn't believe in myself enough. So definitely having a bit more self-confidence would have been key. And the last thing would probably be, and again, it's something I've learned relatively recently, but I was like, take your time with it, you know, like enjoy it all. You know, I traveled a lot through my twenties and I loved every minute of it. And I actually wish I'd maybe stayed in some of the jobs or stayed in some of the cities a little bit longer, but I was in such a rush to move on to the next thing and get that next better paid job or whatever it would be. It's like, you know, I look at my life in Barbados, I'm like, Fucking, I had it made. I just could have been relaxing and you like spending time on the beach. But I was like, no, no, I need to get to Edinburgh and open up my own restaurant as soon as possible because I'm turning 30 soon and I'm not going to have a Michelin star and all that sort of stuff. I just like take your time with it, be patient, enjoy life and, and enjoy those moments because, you know, 
if you're living in those moments and being present, you're going to get much more out of it. Because, like, you know, the cliche thing is you never know what's around the corner, right? So they'll be my top three things for sure. Oh, I think great things as well. Ones that, yeah, I think speak to me and speak to a lot of other people. And uh, <laughs> so there's a restaurant in Barbados is around the corner then for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I've done it all backwards. I should be there now. You know, I should have done what I'm doing now in my 20s and then and, and retired and got out to the beach and lived in the sunshine and like a happy life. But I've done it backwards. <laughs> well, at least you've had a taste of that. And, you know, you know, it's given you the experience and the tools now to be able to to go back there. At some stage, yeah. I mean, I would um, just swap anything for a bit more sunshine, to be honest. <laughs> what are you saying? There's not much sunshine in Scotland. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure you've heard the weather in Scotland, and it's meant to be summer at the minute. It's fucking hailstones the size of golf balls yesterday. <laughs> I know it looks like Armageddon down. I'm in Somerset at the moment. It's, um, yeah, I've uh, I've got some decking to build this weekend as well. Very exciting, and it's going to piss it down the entire weekend. And the wife expe- yeah, is expecting cool. it done, so you're like. Yeah, get cracking. Never mind. It could be ten degrees colder, and we could be in Scotland <laughs> instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, dude, thank you ever so much for for chatting to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I mean, I've learned a lot, and I think it's very valuable information and and you know, shared experiences. I think will be be greatly appreciated. Like I say, if it's if it's any of that advice is helping anything, and then all the power to it. But I really appreciate coming on and talking about it. So it's a good subject to, to get out there. Thank you. Well, it's nothing. Uh, you know, if, I've always said it. It's without you guys, and you know, without the community, and without people speaking about it, it's just me sat in a room talking to myself, and no one listening to me. So it's uh, it's you that makes it. So thanks ever so much, and um, yeah, I hope to catch you soon. Yeah. Thanks very much. Cheers, man. Cheers, mate. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Burnt Chef Journal. If you wanted to learn more about the Burnt Chef Project, head over to our website www.theburntchefproject.com where you'll find a whole host of resources and information relating to well-being and mental health within hospitality. Whilst you're there, why not visit our shop and support us by purchasing some branded merchandise which we then use the profits to fund our ongoing work in destigmatizing mental health within the hospitality industry. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>